What's up, guys? Welcome back to the 307 Podcast. Appreciate you joining us today. I hope you uh, really enjoy this conversation with our good friend, James Ward, and his wife, Jennifer. Uh, James actually was running out at the Mid-State Mile, well, whatever it's been, a month ago, whatever, and uh, his father passed away while he was running, and, you know, he had to make some big decisions and go through quite a bit of emotional discomfort along with the physical discomfort that he was experiencing out there on the course, uh, along with his wife who was crewing him. Jennifer was crewing him. And, you know, it's just a very unique story. And we were thankful to have James out and Jennifer to tell it. And I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did. I think there are a lot of lessons, a lot of takeaways in this episode with James and Jennifer. James is also our co-instructor out at the Proving Grounds. Solid dude. Uh, the things that he says are sound wisdom. And yeah, I think you guys are going to like this one. It's super unique. Never really heard of another story even similar to this one. So, yeah, I want to tell you guys real quick about the race that we have coming up, the 3F7 Project 50K. Hey, look, man, I get so many messages saying, you know, I wish I I wish I was ready to run this, and, you know, I've only ever, I've only ran a 5K before or a 10K or, you know, all this stuff. Look, this race is a perfect place for you to come if you want to run your first ultra marathon, challenge yourself to just simply become a better human being or stretch yourself or grow. All the things that we talk about on this podcast, it's great to listen and to learn through this platform. But if you don't get out and actually put these things into practice stretch yourself somewhat out of your comfort zone or maybe way out of your comfort zone. All the things we talk about, they're never going to be necessarily real to you. And that's what this race is all about, is giving specifically you guys the, the arena, the environment, a safe place to come and grow. This is a great ultra marathon for you if it's your first ultra. Look, I'm not running the race. I'm going to be out there to coach you guys, to encourage you guys, and ultimately to do my best to make sure everyone finishes within the eight hours. It's through a beautiful area. It's my training grounds where I train regularly. The terrain is very manageable, but beautiful. So no super big climbs, nothing crazy. And if you're already an ultra runner, this is also a great place to come and run fast. And we've given you some incentive to run fast. And that is that we're going to pay out $1,000 to our first place runner. We want to give you guys that are already running, already comfortable at this distance, we want to give you incentive to push yourself. All right? Just like our new people that have never ran an ultra before are going to be pushing themselves 
That's what we're looking for. It's an eight-hour cutoff, guys. It's going to be awesome. It's on September 11th. I'll be there. Again, I'll be all over the course wherever I need to be, along with the rest of our team here at 307 Project and an awesome team of volunteers. Again, September 11th here in Rome, Georgia. Check it out on Ultra Sign Up. Just search 3 of 7 Project 50K. I'll put the uh, link directly to the registration page in the show notes of this episode. It's filling up really quick, but there's still room. So don't make excuses, man. If you enjoy this podcast, if you've learned something from this podcast and you're ready to go out and put it into practice, this is your opportunity to do that. All right. This is like the entry level opportunity that we have at 307 Project for you to come hang out, take our relationships to the next level, and to push yourself physically and mentally. I don't know. I'm super fired up about it. I'll shut up about it now. Surely you guys know and have heard about this. Um, and it's for you. That day is not for me. It's for you. So we're going to make it the best possible experience that we can possibly make it. <laughs> this is our first race. So uh, have some grace with us. But I guarantee you we're going to have fun. And it's going to be great fellowship. We're going to cook. We're going to hang out. It's going to be more than just run your race and then leave. I hope a lot of you guys will hang out and so I can get to know you better because that's why we do this podcast. That's what 307 Project is all about. You guys are the body of 307 Project. We couldn't do anything without you making the commitment to show up. I would ask you if you get anything from this podcast to please share it with a friend, a brother, a sister, a family member, somebody that you think needs to hear it. Because we depend on you also to grow this show. And the only way that we can keep doing this show is if it continues to grow. Our Patreon members carry the load. They support this show financially. We greatly appreciate that because it takes a lot of time for us to produce it. And, uh, and also money. So Patreon, guys, we thank you guys so much for the commitment you've made to help us put this show out on a regular basis and uh, in the best possible quality that we can that that we can do, uh, you guys have allowed us to buy our video equipment, our audio equipment. Uh, you, we get to uh, have some uh, a professional Evan. He edits all of our video for us, so I'm not over here putting out a junky product because I'm not a video editor and also pulling what little hair I have left out along the way. So, uh, yeah, man, I could talk all day. We've got the best. You guys are the freaking best, man. We may not have the biggest podcast on earth, but we got some of the best people in the world listening. And, yeah, if you're listening, I count you in on that. So, please, if you don't support us on Patreon, at a minimum, please share the show because we don't run ads we don't do any of that stuff. Uh, this is all organic uh, here as far as how the show grows. So thanks a lot, guys. Again, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode with James and Jennifer Ward. It's Like I say, it's a really great story. 
So uh, here it is. Thanks a lot. I've only done this 125 times. Dang, look at the rain. Is your bike new bike out there? Mm-hmm. You're just going to leave it in the rain? Yeah, I drove all the way here with it <laughs> in the rain. All the way through town. Boy, I tell you, that ain't like you to leave. Tell me about that bike real quick. What's up with it? I don't even know, man. I just dang bought it. I ain't even got to ride it. It's a specialized stump jumper. Bottom of the line alloy. I told you not to do that. I told you to get the one you wanted and just be done with it. It's bottom of top of the line. Yeah. Jennifer, you're going to need that microphone. Yeah, I was going to say, I probably need to do something with this. There you go. Look. You can pull it right into you. This thing is made to talk into. Okay. There it is. There we go. I mean, I'm a newbie to the podcast. Here, you, you want to lean back? Get comfortable. Oh, there you go. nice. Look, yeah, look, it goes all which ways, left, right, up, down. Wow, you guys have this figured out. Well, you know, um, we're happy to have you on the podcast today, Jennifer. Is this your first podcast? This is my very first podcast. I'm honored to be here. Well, we're really grateful to have you. You know, uh, look, this is James and Jennifer. James is an old podcast veteran. If you guys don't know James Ward, he is one of the lead instructors at the Proving Grounds. He's been with us since the first Proving Grounds mission. Helped. He, he's literally was has been with us from the first conversation we even had about doing a mission like that. Um, he's been on the podcast before. Uh, works with an organization or for or helps run or whatever you want to say called Heart for Lebanon. If you guys want to learn more about James's mission, go find his episode. I'd like to actually go back and listen to that episode again. It's been a long time. Guys, what's been that a been? A year probably? Right about a year, I think. That's back before you knew how to host podcast. Yeah. That's one of the early ones. Was that it? live? Did we do that live? We did that live in the in the living room over here. Oh, did we you really? You and me and Brooke, yeah. I'll be dying. Uh, Jennifer, what have you been up to? Well, trying to keep up with this guy. But we have uh, two kids that keep us quite busy, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, that your sweet wife has currently for us to do this podcast. And uh, I work for a nonprofit as well lighthouse that works with families living through childhood cancer so we keep ourselves pretty busy mm, man i heard you had a meeting today i did everything go all right everything is great i got an amazing team they really do all the work they're incredible that's so, awesome thank you guys for adjusting your schedule so i could be here no um, problem i didn't have any meetings today <laughs> it's been a really good day for me i didn't did i blake no i don't think you did anything today I went to the gym and I ran. How fast do you do that, that workout? That this counts morning? as work. That's a good day. Yeah. Well, that's what I like what I do every day. Um I how fast to do that workout? Maybe twelve twelve minutes, maybe? Somewhere around there. Rob beat me. Did he? Big Rob beat me. He was tickled to death too, son. How did he do that? He had seventy five on the the hang clean and jerk. Oh, I wasn't nothing for him. No, he he was he was throwing it around like a pencil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where he got me Dang. at. Did he do double unders? 
No, he did single unders, and I can't do double unders. Can y'all? I can do a couple, but I can't do a lot of them. I'm pretty sure that I don't know what that is, so I'm going to say no. Did you not CrossFit, Jennifer? No. I what just, do you do to stay so dang fit? Well, Because you are really fit. During the pandemic, uh, James made us a the basement scam-demic. gym. Hold on, the there was scam- a pandemic? A scam-demic, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> this past year, he made us a basement gym. And he just writes on the board what I'm supposed to do, and I just do that. I go down about twice a week, and I change it up. I write a workout out on the board, and she goes down and executes on that thing like a boss. Well, Mm -hmm. James busted out his darn Thor hammer in the parking lot of Moe's (laughs) Barbecue and was busting off with some Thor hammers. Yes, those things are serious. A lot of stuff was going down at the Moe's, man. (laughs) We had the Thor. If y'all didn't see the 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 team pt last week you should well it's not even on instagram anymore i just posted on my story james was with us of course uh and um you did well you are you're a strong mountain bike rider i love doing it man i love mountain biking's like my that's my core thing is mountain biking i've been doing that since high school yeah you're strong on the bike man not so much running but (laughs) you're strong on the bike What's your strength in, in fitness, Jennifer? Well, I mean, I've really gotten into trail running this past year, and I love it. That's probably my passion. I don't think I'm any good at it, but I just keep getting curious about how long I can go. So You did your first ultra not long ago, right? I did, the end of, yeah, I think I've done two. Okay. Yeah. So, 50 miles or? Yes. Okay. Miles. How you like it? Oh, I loved it. I loved it, except it was in December, and I stepped on a snake. Wasn't expecting that. Dang. I'm not a big no. fan of snakes, so that was the only low point of the experience. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Move that mic down just a little, Jennifer, where I can capture the fullness of your beautiful voice. Is that good? Oh, that's great. Yep. Okay. Um, so, ultra running, you've done 250 milers. Right? I, did, or, I did one 32-mile and one 50-mile. Yeah, 50K and a 50-miler. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 50K and a 50-miler. And the only low point was you stepped on a snake? You need to run faster. I wish that was my only low point <laughs> on my first 50-miler. She killed it, man. I, I ran that one with her, and, uh, man, she just she just killed it. Where are you going to go with your ultra running? I mean, what, what are your what are your goals for for that because you said you're curious about how far you can go so yeah i'm real slow so i could stand to get faster but i want to try to do 100 by the end of the year because i could have kept going after 50 i mean don't get me wrong i was happy to finish but i'd like to see how much more we can do what are you liking about it um probably the number one thing that i love is just the time out on the trail, the silence. Um, I feel like I listen to God more doing that than any other time. Cause I'm, I have to keep busy all the time and I'm not going to just listen, sit somewhere and listen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like out on the trail, I don't ever listen to anything. I'm just out in nature and I'm, I can hear and think about things on a different level when I'm out there. So I love that. 
Um, I love what it teaches you. I mean, James and I talk about this all the time. I feel like it's transferable to so many aspects of life of just growth in every area. Um, the patience mm -hmm. it takes, that's been a big learning for me because I wouldn't say I'm an overly patient person. So those are a couple of things I love about mm -hmm. it. No, that's perfect. A lot of the same things that I love about it for sure. Uh, you guys have a really... You, I, I mean, whatever you want to call it, awesome, unique, whatever, marriage. Because y'all do all kinds of stuff together. And it, I don't know, do y'all ever fuss? We do. We have our moments. But, um, sure. you know, we have. You really seem to jive really well together. And James is always talking about his bride. And, and, and Jennifer's always smiling when you guys are together doing fun stuff. You race together. I'm going to tell you, if I tried to run an ultra with Brooke, no. Uh -uh. <laughs> we would probably, she would probably end up killing me by the end of it. Unless I just ran and didn't say anything to her. So y'all have a great marriage. What's the secret there? Oh, man. Well, it's work. I mean, we, uh, we prioritize. We are actually just talking about this last night with another couple. We, we prioritize our marriage relationship about above just about everything else in our lives. Probably our relationship with Jesus is number one. Close thereafter is being intentional with our relationship with each other. So uh, we do adventures together. We, um, we do ministry together. We, uh, we talk through things. Um, you know, the old saying... Um, you know, you don't don't go to bed angry with each other. Um, run into the mess if somebody's upset or one of us are upset about the other one. We're uh, we're pretty quick to to dive into that and have those mm -hmm. conversations and sort things out and try to do it quickly. Um, but we also just love we love being together. We love doing stuff together. We're uh, she's my best friend, and uh, we just we have a great time together. Yeah, we, we certainly have our challenges like every marriage, and we're both really passionate people, strong opinions, and we can certainly clash with that. And one of the things we've had to learn in our marriage is how to fight well, because we're both fighters, and that can escalate when you're both fighters. And learning to care about the other person more than winning, I think, has been a challenge for us, because we both like to win. And that just creates damage in the relationship. So it, I think that's the work. That's an example of the work that James is talking about. But I wouldn't want to work on it with anybody else. Mm -hmm. What do you, you say you're both passionate people. What are you most passionate about in life, Jennifer? Oh, for me, number one is my relationship with Jesus. Um, that is center for me that gives purpose to everything in my life it gives greater purpose eternal purpose the lens in which i look at everything family my relationship with my husband ministry relationship with other people that's that gives me the eternal perspective so mm -hmm. that's that's what i'm most passionate about second thing would be this man right here i just adore that man every minute I get to be married to him, I think is a gift. I mean, sometimes he certainly ticks me off. Don't get me wrong, but thank you for adding that in. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I can be, I can be a real jack wagon and she's uh <laughs> she puts up with me well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think for us, um, I heard, I think it was Andy Stanley say one time that marriage is about running to the back of the line, just 
getting there as fast as you can, putting the other one first. He said it a lot more articulately, but I think we try to do that. If you're constantly thinking about the other person and putting yourself behind that, um, and you're both doing that, then I think God does something pretty special with it. Man, believe that. <laughs> I need to take that advice big time. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done. A hundred percent. But yeah. it, it's evident. The fruits of it is is evident in y'all's relationship. I mean, I look up to you guys as a as individuals, but also as especially as a married couple, you really shine. You guys really shine mm-hmm. as a as a couple. Um, well, as one, you guys are both children of Jesus, and you are one in marriage. You really shine in that pers- in that aspect of your life. Uh, dude, I forgot to tell y'all what this podcast. Of course, we could sit here and talk to James and Jennifer. <laughs> By the way, you have the same names as my mother and father. Um, we could sit and talk to you guys for two hours just about marriage and life and testimony and all this. Uh, I really want here in just a second. I really want to hear the story of um, James ran the Mid State Mile long, alongside me and a bunch of other brothers and sisters. Uh, what's it been? A couple weeks ago now, and uh, James lost his father during the race, and I wasn't able to gain any perspective on what was happening because I was being selfish. Um, you were racing. Yeah, you were uh, in the race. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't. I, I had I had a moment of conflict in my own mind when it was happening, of like, wow, how do like this is terrible. I love James. How do I handle this? Come alongside him as a friend, but also stay locked on to this objective. It's like. You know, it was a. I definitely had a moment of conflict with that, and I, I, I don't know how. Um, I don't know if I did the right thing or the wrong thing or what. But regardless of that, this podcast isn't about me. Uh, I just had no. I, I have. I know what happened. I have no perspective on how it happened, the timeline, how it affected you guys, uh, and that's really the story that I wanted to capture here um oh and also this podcast is brought to you by exoskin i I gotta i gotta give i got to give exoskin a shout out in this podcast james you're exoskin ambassador now right yes i am yep so what's your experience been with exoskin man i love it i um i have in the past struggled with chafing that i have grown to absolutely hate yeah and uh, has taken me out of things that I have wanted to do because it's just it's it's you know it's a it's a joy killer, and uh, and man I've been you turned me on to using Exoskin a couple of years ago and been using it and uh, man I just I love it I love the socks I love the shorts, um, got some of the some of the liners uh, recently and love those I just I just think it's best product out there for me for running biking uh, I use it for workouts just about anything that's just it just works and jennifer loves it because when i come in after a long ride or a long workout and i put my shorts up on the shower to let them dry out they don't stink so bad isn't that amazing (laughs) it's unbelievable it really is it's it's a tremendous difference uh 
So exoskins woven copper fiber into this fabric, special proprietary fabric that they have patents on it. And so it doesn't retain odor-causing bacteria. And yeah, it doesn't stink. What was it, Croy? Oh yeah, Croy wanted us to tell you guys they're coming out pretty soon with some um, different colors in they're, they're out now. They're out now. Mm-hmm. Some different colors in the toe socks. Yep. And I'm pretty jealous about that. I'm gonna have to go on and buy me some. I got two colors. I got the old green ones and I got the I got some red ones. Since when did you start caring about colors? I, I just I mean the toe socks is like the only thing I wear with color. Yeah, and they got and they show on your yeah, sandals. Everything else mm-hmm. I wear is either black or brown usually. Or blue. But yeah, they're coming out with some new color schemes for the toe socks. If you guys need some new exoskin toe socks, if you do need some new ones, if you already have some and you do need some new ones, they're probably old because these socks last a really, really long time. I'd say they've got, you can get triple the life out of a exoskin sock as you can get out of the most high-end other running socks on the market like Swiftwick or uh, Darn Tough or, or Smart Wool or any of those, I'd say exoskin is about three times the life at a minimum. Mm-hmm. I've got some exoskin socks that are literally two, like two plus years old, and I run a lot. All right? So go check them out, exoskin.us. That's their website. I'll attach it in the show notes of this episode. I'll also attach a pro code that you guys can use, especially for you three of seven podcast listeners, to get fifty. It's now fifteen. Now fifteen percent off, which yeah. is a pretty dang good discount. Fifteen percent off your Exoskin order. Go follow. Go give them a follow on Instagram. I'll attach their handle in the show notes of this episode. Exoskin, you've sponsored us since day one of the three of seven podcast, and uh, you were the first company to come alongside me as an athlete, and I'm ever for. I am forever grateful for that and for the awesome products that you put out to keep us comfortable out on the trail. All right. I'm pretty excited about those new colors. I'm going to have to go order some yeah, of those after the show. Me too. I am. I'm, I'm pumped about that. And thank you for the testimonial, James. Yeah, happy to do it. Um, all right. This race, the Mid-State Mile. First of all, why would you sign up for this, James? By the way, James's name is James. We call him James. <laughs> um, I signed up for it because I really wanted to see what I had in the tank, what I could do. I wanted to push myself to the uh, to the limit of my abilities, capabilities, and uh, I was familiar with the race from you doing it last year. Um, it it suits me well because I'm not a real fast runner. Uh, but I'm usually pretty durable. You uh, threw hike the Appalachian Trail. Threw from hike the north Appalachian Trail. Yep, yep. Did it southbound. I um I I, I love climbing. Um, yeah, I mean, I love rock climbing. But in terms of running or hiking, I love climbing. I love altitude. I love I love taking uh, taking elevation. And so um so it was it w- it was a good. It seemed like a good fit for me and something that I would. I'd do well at, and that I wanted to go out and give it a give it a good effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when we when we met to uh, do some prep work for the proving grounds that day, I remember you saying, "You know, I I kind of what what was your original goal?" So originally, I was thinking, and the conversation we had because I, I remember it 
was uh, I was thinking, well, I know I want to do at least 24 hours, but I don't want to set that as a goal because I don't want to get to 24 hours, have more in the tank and think and have an out, right? Have your a, brain would, right, your brain right, exactly. would cut you off. Right. Brain just says, okay, you're done now. Um, and so, and, and you looked at me and you were like, son, you need to change your perspective on that. You need to run this race to win it. Yeah. And, uh, and man, I don't think those words got out of your mouth before my mindset was changed. And, uh, and Jennifer can attest to this. I came back from that day and it's like, all right, it's on now. So oh yeah. You cranked my it training, overdrive. like everything changed with that mindset shift of, no, I'm, I'm running it. I'm running it to win it. I'm running it to be there against Chad mm-hmm. at the end. And you were very dedicated in your training. I think leading up to the race, those, those last few months there, I know we followed James on Instagram and I saw you post and you were getting after it, man. I was, I was, you're putting the work I was in, putting the work in. Yeah. yeah. So I saw it that, well, I saw that distinct mindset shift in that moment. And, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of people out there, um, that are just getting into ultra running that don't give themselves enough credibility as a, like a true contender to win these certain types of races that play to their strengths. And that was one of the big things. Uh, one of the big things for me when I first started ultra running, I never thought that like really that I could ever win a race. And then one of my buddies, uh, he, he told me like, I was placing like fit, like eighth place, sixth place, you know, 10th place. And he was like, Hey man, you could, you could win these things. You could do, you could do pretty good. And like, sometimes you got like, we should all take a lesson from that. Like sometimes you, you should tell mm-hmm. your, like, don't tell somebody that, that really can't do it, but <laughs> If you've got if you've got a buddy or or a brother or a sister, um, and they have the capabilities to really do well if they if if that's something they enjoy, and they don't see it in themselves, point it out, you know. And I was serious when I told you that I was like, no man, like you can win this, and and you know, and you latched right onto it, man. And um, all right. So mindset shift. All right. You're coming. It, it's the day before race day. What's going on? So really, it kind of starts the week leading up to the race. I was, uh, I was down in Florida with, with the family. We were doing a, uh, a retreat for the ministry that Jennifer works with. And uh, I was down there. I was working remote. But I was putting in some miles down there. Uh, just, you know, it was the week before the race. So I wasn't doing anything long, but just trying to get, it was hot. So trying to get yeah. some heat heat training in and uh, just kind of a nice, nice, easy runs down there. Um, and uh, was planning on coming back that Friday and driving up to the race and, you know, getting ready and racing Saturday. Well, Tuesday afternoon, I got a call from, uh, from my mom uh, my dad had been in the hospital, but he had been dealing with some stuff that wasn't, it wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't supposed to be life-threatening. And, uh, and I'd, I'd known he was in the hospital, um, and she, uh, she called and said, hey, your, your dad's going to call you in a few minutes. You need to take the call. And I, and I knew, like, okay, something's up here. This isn't, I don't get these kind of calls from my mom. And uh, sure enough, dad called, and he says, hey, uh, they're about to take me into a surgery. 
It's really high risk. There's a good chance I'm not coming out of it. Uh, and he wanted to have that conversation, that goodbye conversation in that moment of, listen, if I don't come out of it, I want you to take care of your mother. I want you to tell your sister this, you know, and he just kind of, and I had the opportunity to tell him, dad, you know, I love you. You've been a great father. And we had that moment, right, where we had to have that conversation, um, hung up the phone and went straight to get on a plane uh, to fly home um, and ended up, he didn't end up, he got, in, he got into the surgery room and the anesthesiologist came in and said, uh, said refused to put him under because it was, the risk was so great. Wow. What uh, was he dealing with, James? <clears throat> Health-wise. He was dealing with a number of different issues, but the main one at that point was he had, he had some internal bleeding that they just couldn't get, couldn't get to stop. And uh, he had a heart issue as well. And because of the heart issue, it made uh, going in and cauterizing those, the veins that were bleeding very, very risky. And that's what they were, that's what really what they needed to do. And, uh, and so he was just, they were just hoping that the bleeding would stop and they were giving him uh, transfusions every once in a while. Uh, trying different things to try to try to stop that bleeding, and it just it just wouldn't stop. Um, he had he had some uh, prostate cancer a few years back, and had some radiation treatment done, and so that was complicating it as well. There was some scarring from the radiation, um, so so that's what he was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And uh, got on a plane. He ended up not going into surgery, so I spent Wednesday and Thursday with him in the hospital just. Spending time with him, trying to get with doctors, you know, this, this, uh, this COVID junk uh, creates so much problems for families who have someone in the hospital. We, we could have one visitor a day uh, go visit my father. And so, which meant if I spend the day up there with him, my mom can't go sit, sit with him and be with him, or my sister can't go sit with him and be with him. Um, and, but we were to the point where it was getting serious enough where there were decisions that need to be made. There was, we needed to make sure the doctors were giving him the attention he, he needed yeah. and there was a treatment plan. And so I, I spent Wednesday and Thursday with them in the hospital, try to help facilitate some of that, which was just, just a mess, right? Cause you yeah. got like four hours of visiting hours. They'll even let you be there. Of course, the doctors aren't making their rounds during that four hours. And so trying to get answers and piece together stuff was just a hassle. But over the course of two days, we were able to make some progress and felt like we had a good plan. Uh, had the opportunity to just sit with him, spend a lot of time with him, telling stories, interacting with him, which was great. Um, and uh, come, come Friday morning, had a decision to make. Right, are we going to go do this thing, go run this race, or are we going to stay back and hang hang with dad and the family? And uh, and the and I was real conflicted about that, to be honest with you, about what is the right thing to do here. Um, but made the decision largely because only one person could go visit him, you know, at, at a, a day. Yeah, just be sitting at home while my mom or my sister was visiting him. I yeah. had the last two days with him, and so talked about it with Jennifer. We prayed about it. And uh, we decided, all right, we're going to go. Dad wanted me to run it. Uh, my dad supported all of my wild adventures. Uh, I mean, anything I'd ever done from the Appalachian Trail. I mean, he and mom drove me up, dropped me off in Maine to hike home. Uh, they funded it for me. I was fresh out of high school. I didn't have any money. Um, and he, he believed in me, everything, I'd, everything I ever tried to do. He just believed I could, I could accomplish it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so he wanted me to run it. Uh, mom wanted me to do it. My sister did, and so we uh, we headed up and uh, got up to Franklin. Got to the got to the course uh, Friday afternoon. Got everything set up, 
Yeah. And uh, that's that's when I ran, ran into you and Blake. You guys were rolling in. Well, I want to talk to you about those two days you got to spend with your dad. Did 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 he know or, or in, uh, did he imply that he knew that time was really short? Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting. That's a, I'm glad you asked that question because um, he, uh, my, my dad had a real spiritual transformational experience about a year and a half ago. Okay. Where he, he grew up in a Christian home, came from a Christian background, uh, but he, during his uh, military years and years coming out of the military, he was a medic in the Army, um, he, had, he had some wild times, son. I mean, he was, he was into it all. What years was he in? Oh man, that's I honestly don't know. It would have been Was it wartime? It was. It was uh it was Vietnam era. Okay. Yep. Um he he ended up not he ended up his his unit went to Vietnam. He ended up last minute through some just crazy circumstances. Um someone stole his television out of his barracks and he had to go um to the hearing for the person who stole it <laughs> and his 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 unit was shipping out and he, he missed going with them. And as he, afterwards he got reassigned to Korea. So he ended up spending a couple tours in Korea. Okay. Um, but he, uh, he was, um, God just really transformed his life. He finally came to grips with the reality of God's forgiveness and, and that grace that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that those things that he did all those years ago, um, that was, that that was that was the old self, and you say it was only about a year and a half ago. It was just a year and a half ago. Yeah. What what prompted that? Him him feeling like he was running out of time. He called me one day when he he was he's had health issues the last two years um, that were pretty serious, um, but he called he called me out of the blue one day. It was during the it was during all the lockdown stuff. We hadn't seen him in a while because he was older and high risk and all, and we didn't know nobody knew what was going on back then, right? Yeah. Um, he called me one day and he said, Hey, I don't, James, I'm not doing well. Uh, I don't think I have much longer. Uh, I want to see the grandkids and I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I'm like, well, we can have that conversation right now, dad. And then we'll load up the kids in the car when we're done and we'll come see you. And, uh, and so we just had, had this incredible conversation about grace and about forgiveness and, uh, God's ability to separate the past from the future in a way that is, you know, like scripture says, as far as from the East as the West. And, um, and, and I feel like he, he finally at that point believed that and, and truly put his faith in Jesus. And, um, and man, I've never seen someone so transformed in such a short amount of time. Uh, my dad was always a good guy, uh, always a great father, but man, he was, he didn't want to mess with him. He was short fused he was ornery. He would uh, he'd get frustrated at little things. He was always looking for a fight, uh, if not phys- sometimes physically, <laughs> mm-hmm. but if not physically, you know, look looking for an argument with someone, looking to look look look. He was just combative. Um, and from the day that I had that conversation with him to the day he he passed away, I never saw him lose his temper. And those and those those last year and a half were the hardest of his life in yeah. many ways because of his his medical issues and his struggles. Never saw him lose his temper. The way he treated and loved my mom was better than I'd ever seen him treat and love my mom before. Um, and again, he, he wasn't a bad guy before, but he just had his issues like we yeah. all do. Um, 
and so those last couple days with him in the hospital, um, at one point he looked over at me and uh, he had he had he had just started coughing out of nowhere and he coughed up some blood. And like I said, he was a medic in the army. He was putting things together and he just looked at me. He said, James, this isn't good. He said, there's too many issues compounding here at one time. Uh, he said, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna make it. And I'm like, dad, come on, you're going to be fine. Best doctors, you know, you got, they got a plan. You're going to be just fine. And he just looked at me, said, I hope so. But if not, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so he, he knew, I think he knew it was coming before the rest of us did. And, and he, I think he came to, came to grips with it before the rest of us did. Well, I'll tell you, it takes a lot of courage to make that statement. And it takes a strong faith to make that statement when that, uh, I guess that veil between yeah. life and eternal life starts to get real thin. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that he turned to you and said that. Yeah. You know? And, and Chad and Blake, the way that he, um, you know, he was in a lot of pain. I mean, I'd, I'd never seen, uh, I've seen, I've seen people, uh, in pain. I've seen people suffer. Uh, never seen any, anybody in pain like that. I mean, he would, there were times when, you know, he would literally, he would be on morphine and he would still be gripping the side of that hospital bed, just, you know, just groaning mm. in pain. It just, and, and yet nurse would come in and she'd want to do something to him or prod him or, you know, check something or whatever. And he'd moan and you could tell he was just in pain, but is that, that nurse would finish and he'd, he'd, wave for to come over by the bed and he'd say, uh, he'd say, Hey, I, I hope, you know, I'm not upset with you. I, I'm so grateful for the way that you take care of me. You're just, you're a blessing to me. And, uh, and I, I know, I know God's doing something. He's got a purpose for this. And, and it's just like in the midst of all that, he still had the mindset and the, and the mission focus, if you will, to be care, caring for the people that were taking care of him. And, uh, and that just, that was, that's not the same man. He wouldn't have responded that way two years ago. Yeah. Um, there, it's just, it's just this evidence of that transformation. And, uh, and, and so it did. I mean, I just, I saw so much courage in him as he faced his final days and his final hours. Um, and so much confidence that, you know, it's like, it's like I've heard you say a number of times, right? When you become totally convinced that you can't die, I mean, you could stop breathing. Yeah. Your heart could stop beating. But that's just a tra time of transition. Yeah. You're just moving from one home to the next. When you become solely convinced of that and you down down in your heart, it changes everything. Yeah. And that's and that's what that's what that's what we witnessed in, in my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, moving is uncomfortable. Who likes to move? I hate moving. And no matter when you become, when you when you have the realization that you, um, are that you have access to eternal life, it doesn't mean that death is not going to be uncomfortable. Right. Yep. Death is an ugly thing. I, I mean that I, when when you see death and you comprehend how the the ugliness of it in in the how uncomfortable it is for everyone. Uh, it makes you have a new appreciation for the fact that Jesus Christ conquered death 
and it makes you have a new understanding of eternal life in a place where death does not exist. You know? Yep. So when you depart your tent, it's like moving. It sucks. It's uncomfortable, right? Well, this is all, all you know is living in this body. We've all backpacked, and we certainly know that Chad doesn't like to depart his tent in the morning, so as uncomfortable as that is for him, you can imagine how much more death is. That's right. That's right. So that's awesome, man. I appreciate you talking us through that yeah. That portion. Um, and so you decide to... You decide, and I, I, I get it. That I imagine that that was a hard decision, but like you said, you could only have one person at the hospital at a time. So it's like, and and he was fully supportive of you and Jennifer going up to do the event, and you guys headed up to Tennessee. We saw you guys pretty soon after. Well, you guys were there when we got there. I think we we saw you chatted, and I don't even know if I. I think maybe I knew that, you know, kind of a little bit about what was going on with your dad, but I didn't I didn't know the seriousness of it. And um, then you, it was shortly after that. I know, I think we got a, we were sitting in the RV and you guys knocked on the RV and y'all were having to get out of there because, so what was going on there? So uh, Jennifer, you want to chat? Cause you got, you got, you got the phone call, I think, if I remember sure. correctly. Yeah. We had just been talking to his mom, checking in, everything. Um, it had been a little bit of a rough day, but he was, his dad was in the hospital and doing well and resting and felt really good about where his mom was, where his dad was. And then she literally got a phone from, a phone call from the hospital when I was on the phone with her. So she hung up, grabbed that, and then she called me right back. And I could tell immediately the sound of her voice, something wasn't right. And through tears, she's telling me that they are moving his dad to the ICU, come to the hospital right away. So we automatically go worst case scenario. And so I don't even know that I had to say anything. James just saw the look on my face and I told him what had happened. And it wasn't even a conversation. It was, we have to go. It wasn't even... A decision we just immediately knew family comes first this is not even a decision we're packing it up and we're out of here and then you guys were fantastic I think we knocked on the camper told you asked Blake if he could get all of our stuff that we had just set up because we didn't even take the time to pack up really we just jumped in the truck and started heading back to the hospital as fast as we could I mean we were a few hours away and that was late in the evening too yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. so you guys pack up, roll out. You're headed back to the hospital. Something happened because you turned around. <laughs> yeah, so we were, uh, we were. I guess we were about two and a half, three hours um, down the road. And uh, my mom called back and said, hey, uh, we just left the hospital. We were with your dad. Um, they moved him to the ICU, but he's, he's actually doing better now. Um, they've got a plan. Um, you know, he, he wants you, he wants you to go race and we do too. Um, the, the visiting realities are still what they were, meaning we couldn't go visit them anyways. Uh, so mom was like, she's like, I mean, I don't know how far you are and I don't, I don't know if it's even, you know, if you can even still do it, but if you want to turn around and go back and run, you should do that. And, uh, and so 
Jennifer and I pulled over. We pulled into a Cracker Barrel parking lot and said, uh, you know what, let's get some food and let's talk through this and, and make a decision here. Yeah, yeah, this was a total emotional roller coaster because That's what I was about we were to say. even having the conversation racing back. Oh man, maybe we made the wrong decision. Yeah. We never should have come. Um, and then to realize everything's okay and it's so okay that they won't even let us come. They just, they have got a plan. He just needs to rest. The, it wasn't worst case like we thought. It it was just a little bit of whiplash yeah, for sure to say the least. Yeah. So we, uh, we had dinner and we talked about it and we said, you know what, we're going to go back. And, uh, and we even talked about the fact that like, you know, dad's, dad's, dad's fighting. Uh, he's going through something really, really difficult. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go back and I'm going to, I'm going to fight and I'm going to go through, I'm going to push my body really, really hard and I'm going to do it in his honor um, dedicated to him. Um, I knew he'd be following along, uh, and that, you know, hope, hoping that that, that give him some, some inspiration, encourage him as he's going through his struggles, uh, there in the hospital. So I think it was, I think it was about 10 o'clock, 10 30, something like that. We turned around, we were just South of Chattanooga yeah, and turned around and drove back, uh, got back up to, uh, just outside of Nashville there. Uh, I guess it was 1230. Something yeah, like it was that. late. Little, little, you know, after midnight, one a.m., somewhere around there. Um, tried to get, tried to get some, go to sleep right away. Um, able to get a few hours of sleep, and then got up and headed next morning, headed out to the course to, to run. I'll tell you what, brother, that's some. Uh, I, you know, I, I was, I was thinking like, gosh, James must have really wanted to run this race, but. You know, when when you kind of talk about it in a way of the way you just explained it, I knew my dad was fighting. By the way, what was your dad's name? He, his, his name was James also, but he went by Buck, Buck Ward. Okay. Yeah. You knew Buck was fighting, and you said, um, you said, well, I, I'm going to do something where I can fight alongside of him, and I know he's going to be able to see this yeah. on social media land, and maybe – Maybe that'll give him some inspiration. Maybe that'll that he knows that you know I'm sh- not struggling on the level that he is, but at least I'm out here, right. you know, doing this hard thing and pushing myself. That's really cool, man. I I, I, I never realized that was part of your thought process uh, of making that decision and making that commitment to turn around and come out and race. Yeah, it, it, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that. It really was, and uh, I mean. You know, everything I, I was I was telling Jennifer and some of our friends the other night. I mean, I, I am who I am because in no small part because of my father. Right. And the way that his values and the way that he taught me and in uh, the way that he supported me and encouraged me when I when I wanted to do something that was hard or that didn't make great financial sense. But but was something that I felt like I needed to do. Um, and so I I knew he, you know, not not just because he told me to go run, but I knew he he would want me to go do mm-hmm. that, and uh, and and so that that made the decision easier. Man, yeah, that's pretty cool. It really is. Um, you turn around, you come back. We start to race. You're you're you've already been through this, like you said, emotional 
a roller coaster and physically you have you're you're already behind on sleep how how did you feel that morning i mean were you were you energized because now you have this new purpose mm-hmm. or new why or yeah yeah i was i was um i on, honestly i felt i felt really good uh starting out i had uh i was excited about it you know there's that pre-race adrenaline and just excitement building kind of you get closer to it and i was excited about that um i felt strong i felt good i certainly could have been more rested but i didn't you know that was what it was um no big i didn't figure it was that big of a deal and uh and felt like i had i had a real good why behind why i was yeah. doing this at that point which yeah, is extremely shot, important he shot a video for his dad before the start that was kind of special and sent that off to his family beforehand and the plan was to just keep updating them as the race progressed yeah yeah all right now we start the race so what's kind of the next what's kind of the next big thing either for you personally or or for you guys as as a husband wife or or for your father i mean what's the next part of the story for you so so jennifer was there because it's not just a not just a regular race for you. No, this it's thing not. is yeah. Yep, so yep. So uh, so Jennifer was there crew crewing me, and uh, and the first you know did the first lap, did the second lap, felt good, everything great. Come around for the third lap. So we're an hour in, right? Because it's twenty minutes per per lap. Uh, literally, I th- I believe it was the third lap. I think it was one hour in. I, I come in, you know, come down kind of down that last hill through that little pasture field area and into the starting corral. And I see Jennifer standing there. She was standing out right at the edge of the starting corral. And I know, I know my bride and we've been married almost 20 years and uh, I know her well. And I could see from, you know, hundred yards away, something's not right. Yeah. And uh, come into the starting corral and she grabs my hands and take, takes me straight to the seat and sets me down in that chair and uh, she gets face to face with me. You know, she's like got her hands up on my ears and pulling me right into her. And uh, and she just says, "Hey, I just talked to your mom. Um, your dad took a turn. He's he's on a ventilator. He's not going to make it." And uh, and in that moment, it just felt like the you know, you know old. Oh, the great theologian Mike Tyson yeah. <laughs> has a quote, right? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And I felt like leading up to that point, I had a plan. I had a why. Yeah. I felt good. And uh, like I couldn't be beat. And then I got punched right square in the face. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just, I just remember sitting there in that chair feeling like, you know, not knowing what to do. Um, and, uh, and just feeling like I just want to sit here and uh and didn't know what the right thing to do was didn't know how to respond didn't you know just just the reality of it setting in heard that heard that 30 second whistle blow because um, you know the reality is right I come in I'm at 17 18 minutes she tells me if I'm gonna keep running I got I got about two minutes to make a decision mm-hmm. um, and then the other realities were he was on a ventilator uh, we knew he didn't want to be kept alive artificially. He didn't want to be on the ventilator. Uh, my mom and my sister were calling me to ask if 
if it's okay to take them off. They could have kept them on long enough for me to get off the course and drive down and say my goodbyes, but he was unconscious. Um, and so, you know, there were these decisions that had to be made. Um, I heard that 30-second whistle blow, and it, it's almost like Pavlov's dog. Yeah. I just, I just stood up. Yeah, it's like condition. It's like, well, I stood up and walked out there, and they blew the whistle and started running. I, and I honestly, I didn't even – I don't even know what I was thinking. Uh, I, I really don't. Um, but I got, a, I, got a, I got, you know, maybe – couple hundred yards into that fourth lap and all of a sudden began to realize quickly, all right, I gotta, I, I gotta make some decisions here. I can't, I, I, I gotta make a plan mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'll, I'll get into that in just a second, but yeah, I, well, that's what I wanted to ask Jennifer before we talk through your thoughts on that lap. Uh, how was it for you? Obviously in this you're you're in this environment where there's all this energy and this positivity and all this you know s- stuff happening and here you are having to bear the burden of this news i mean can you talk me through how you manage that well it was it was a really interesting thing to look back on even back at the cracker barrel when james was considering after his family said, turn around and go back. I didn't tell him this, but what I was thinking inside was, man, does he really want to put himself through this after a week like this? Um, But I never voiced that because the other part of me, just being on this ultra running adventure and journey with him um, and training with him and all of that, I get that drive inside. And I understood why he wanted to continue forward. And I really respected and admired his desire to do that, even though things were just stacking up against that, you know, the outcome was likely not, you know, from a race perspective, going to be real pleasant. Um, I just understand that. It's something that I think we share, and he doesn't have to explain that to me. Um, And then coupled with the fact that we had such a piece Friday night and there was so much hope I really felt like his dad with what the doctors had told us Friday night was going to pull through and so the phone call from his mom for me was a complete shock I thought she was calling to just check in on the race I never and maybe this sounds naive but just with the information that I had at the time I really did not expect that kind of call Um, and so the initial feeling was complete shock. I mean, I think I sat down in the crew area and just processing this, even asking, well, what should we do? We can come, he'll be back here in five minutes. We can get in the truck. And they said, and his mom said, honey, he's unconscious. He's not going to know you're here. And his sister immediately said, dad would want James to keep racing. And I've just, I mean, I get emotional thinking about it because I know that I have to tell him on that course with everything that's going on and so many people around. And plus there's our friends, good friends there uh, doing the documentary. So there's, it's very public environment to, yeah. s- to share news with my best friend in the whole world that I know is going to shatter his heart. Mm-hmm. And so it felt overwhelming. I think I went over to Dwayne right away and said, Dwayne, I need you to take your documentary filmmaker hat off and I need you to put on your friend hat. 
what do I do here? Like logistically, he's going to be here in about five minutes. I'm going to have two minutes to tell him all of this. And it just helped to process with Dwayne and his wife, Dawn, just tactically, how do I communicate this in 60 seconds? And so I thought through that and I knew I wanted to be strong for him, give him the information that he needed. But I don't know that anything prepares. I, I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say those were the worst, some of the worst two minutes of my life. And we've traveled the world. We've seen some horrific things. I know you've seen a lot, but there's something about telling the person you love most in this world news that you know is going to just shatter their heart. And so, like you said, just taking his head in my hands. And I was actually trying to keep it between us because I also didn't want to impact the other runners mm -hmm. because that's, that's hard news. And I knew I had to tell James, but I was actually hoping Chad that you didn't know what was going on because I didn't want it to impact what you were trying to accomplish on that day. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I had that in the back of my mind too. Like, how do I do this in a way that's going to be minimally impacting to the people around us? Um, and man, when he stood up to go face that starting line, I was just kind of in awe of his, uh, ability to do that. Um, cause when I told him about his dad, I mean, the look of pain on his face, I don't think I'll ever forget. And that's not necessarily a horrible memory because it's because there's so much love. Yeah. Um, but when he, when he, hit the starting line to go when you guys were out of sight racing my legs just gave out i mean there was a physical reaction to me i kind of hit the ground in front of the chair um and blake and brooke and Dwayne, who was filming everybody just kind of in that circle around me and blake prayed hmm. in that moment and I'm not an emotional person, but I get emotional um, talking about it because, Blake, your prayer meant so much to me in that moment. And that community of people mm -hmm. just coming around me in that moment gave me strength. Um, your prayer, um, the spirit inside of me, and uh, the community there gave strength to be strong for him. And so after Blake prayed... I felt like I could stand up and do what needed to be done. And someone asked me quickly after that, are you okay with James keep running like this? And I just have such a conviction and passion around, you know, I'll follow this man anywhere. And if he's in for this, I am a hundred percent in whatever it takes. And that was my mindset in that moment. I mean, there was a moment of falling apart, um, but thankfully, your family and the people there were a real support for me in that moment. And I think a big reason why I was able to get up and actually tactically do what needed mm -hmm. to be done. Wow. So you got to, you, you got to see this, Blake. I mean, I didn't know any of this had happened. Literally until the race was over. Uh, James was very... It's it's amazing how 
Well, I didn't get to see you a lot, Jennifer, but I got to see James every lap. And, mm-hmm. and just how he kept his composure on the course after that moment, and I want to hear about that fourth mm-hmm. lap here in a minute, but I never knew his father was – and he had to, he had these decisions to make and that he eventually passed away. I didn't have a clue, man, because he was just out there grinding, man. Now, he was quiet. But I just thought he was grinding. You know what I mean? I just thought he was focused. Um, you got anything to say, Blake? Because I, I mean, I for me, you know that it was kind of like I knew y'all were dealing with a lot, and I didn't want to interject where like and and just add like a, a whole other piece to the puzzle, right? So you know, when James came in, I, me, and I kind of told some of the other people, hey, just like let them do their thing because. You know, we don't all want to be around at that time, and you handled it awesome. And when he got up and left, I kind of just felt like maybe that was our spot, you know, to step in and talk. And, I mean, usually I don't know what to say, but I, I just really felt the Holy Spirit in that moment. And, and you know, he just kind of told me, hey, just she knows all these things, just remind her these things that he's in a better place that we, you know, this is a natural thing and, and just all these things. I don't even remember exactly what I said, but it, it just kind of, it just kind of came out and it, I don't know. It just, it wasn't me. It was just God working through me. And, you know, I mean, I, we were all honored just to be there, but it was, it was definitely kind of, it, it was a much different and more special moment right there. I say special. I'm not like, you know, I mean, it was a terrible thing that happened, but but it's always special when the Holy Spirit is in your presence and you can feel mm-hmm. Him there. Um, but Dang, I'm, I I I didn't get to experience that with you guys. I'm kind of jealous of that, man. It was pretty special. I'll never yeah. forget it. Well, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, this is right why we did a podcast about this. Um. Let's uh, so you go out, James. You you like you said the first little bit. You didn't know what you were thinking, but soon it kind of dawned on you. Talk me through that. Yeah. So, I um took off. Just you know, just started running and uh, quickly realized, like, all right, I've got to, I got to make some decisions here. I got to decide what to do. Um. And so it, it, it came to me that if I was going to keep running, which I hadn't decided at that point, whether I was or not, I just knew I was going to run that (laughs) fourth lap, at least that, um, I needed to have some time to be able to call my mom, talk through things with her, um, say goodbye to my dad. Um, and I knew that I didn't want him on that ventilator. I just knew I didn't want him kept alive that way. Um, and so I, um, I realized, or or I made the decision that I'm gonna have to run the, I'm going to run this lap really fast. And, uh, and it was, I think it was about the time that first little Creek crossing there is when I kind of came to that. And so I just, I just took off and, uh, and just ran and I'm sure, man, like we're going up that hill and those boys at the front of the pack were thinking, what is this moron trying to do? Yeah. Like, does he not realize this isn't a, f- a four lap race? You know, like I was <laughs> trying to come in, come into the finish real hot or something. Um, but I took off and I, I ran that last lap as fast and as hard as I could. 
um, and came in with, um, uh, came in with, I think, I don't remember exactly, but I think I had like 10 and a half or 11 minutes or something like that. Wow. Yeah, so you, you were, did go through it quick. Then. Blake and I were sitting there and he said, is that James? <laughs> and I'm thinking, we're not supposed to see him for another seven or eight minutes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so I came in, Jennifer's came out the starting corral right away. I said, Hey, let's get, let's call mom. Got mom on the phone and, uh, just kind of walked off the side of the course a little bit and, uh, sat down on a, and just had a conversation with mom, understood what the situation was. Um, and, uh, she, you know, I, she put it on speaker. I told, I told her that, you know, I didn't want him, I didn't want him to keep him up, keep him on the ventilator. I thought we need to let him go, which she agreed with. Um, my mom and sister were both, both there at the hospital in the room with them. And they, uh, they put me on the speaker phone and gave me the opportunity just to, you know, and he was, he was unconscious what he could hear or not hear. I don't know, but, but I still didn't, you know, I wanted to, wanted to take that opportunity to make sure I, I said whatever I wanted to say and uh, had the opportunity there to just say my goodbyes, tell, thank him for being such a great father and uh, always loving me and investing in me and, um, showing me the way. And, uh, so took the, took the opportunity to do that. Um, told mom and Ashley that, you know, what do you want? I, I can be there in three hours. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't want you guys to have to deal with this on your own. Um, I can, I can walk away right now. We can be in the truck. We can be home in three, three and a half hours. And, uh, and, and I believe it was my sister that, that said, uh, that said, no, dad would want you to win that race. And, um, and mom said, yeah, don't, we're fine. She said, we're just going to go home. We're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to deal with anything today. Mm. Just, just run and we'll see you when you're done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I decided, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the thing in hindsight, looking back, the thing I realized now is that um my why changed drastically yeah in that moment right because before it was it was about encouraging my dad it was about doing it for him and him being able to watch it unfold and uh and be encouraged by that well that wasn't going to be a reality anymore because i had just i effectively just gave the go-ahead to remove the ventilator and to let him let him go and, uh, and so I think, I think it, it was from a, uh, emotional standpoint, just a lot changed right then for me in terms of the race. Uh, and even in terms of really wondering, am I doing the right thing here? You know, I got, I got yeah. two kids at home with their, with Jennifer's mom that they don't know their grandfather just passed away. Um, I got my, my sweet wife who's carried this burden of having to tell me this and, you know, I'm getting two minute increments with her every lap. Am I being a good husband in this moment? Uh, and then I got my mom and sister at home left to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with today. Uh, am I being a good, a good son and a good brother? And, uh, and that, that tension was real. I mean, that, Mm -hmm. that, that tension was a, um, and I don't know. I mean, I still, I, 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 you know, two, two weeks out, did I make the right decision or not? I, I don't know. I don't know that there is a right or a wrong, but well, uh, I have an opinion. <laughs> I know you do, but, um, but I, 
you know, at the end of the day, I decided, hey, if, if dad would want me to run, I'm going to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and please share. Well, I could tell he was conflicted. I mean, you observed on the course that he was real quiet, but I could just see the pain on his face, the questions, am I doing the right thing when he would come in? Are the kids okay? It doesn't feel right that we haven't told the kids. What I couldn't communicate in those two-minute increments is that I've been on the phone with his mom and sister. I've been talking with my mom. I, all of the unity and support for James was there with our families. And I was trying in those short amount of time to just alleviate that tension, babe, everybody's good. I'm checking in with him. We're good. And to give him the confidence that I'm okay. I'm able to be strong for you. But I don't know that anything that I could have said would have resonated to alleviate that because I get it. But for me, from my perspective, I just had so much respect and a bit of awe of what he was what he was doing in those moments. And I don't have, I don't think any of your family have any regret about that at all. Mm-hmm. Only pride in the best way. Yeah. 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 That's pretty amazing. Uh, because this is pretty early on. Yeah. I mean, so you guys were out there for a long time, uh, after you made this decision to carry on. And, what what kind of what kind of things were you processing or, or other than that conflict you were having of, of am I doing the right thing out here? I mean, how how many more hours were you on the course? Uh, nine. Nine more yeah. hours. So yeah. nine more hours. Yeah. Um. What what how how was that? I mean, it, it was it was a it was a roller coaster. I mean, there were. Uh, I'm sure, you know, most, the vast majority of the people out there running had no idea what was going on. And I'm sure they just, they thought I was just a straight out nut job, man. Cause I would be, I'd be running at one moment and I'd be kind of giggling to myself, uh, thinking about memories of me and dad and things we did and experiences and stories and, and really celebrating that, man, he is, he is pain free right now. He is, he is like, he is experiencing something right now that I can only imagine and just, you know, I'm almost giddy for, for him yeah. and thinking about the, the life that, that we had together. And then other moments I'd be nearly bawling. I mean, I'd be coming down one of those Hills and just, you know, tears strolling down my face, mm. <laughs> you know, ugly crying almost. And, uh, um, and it was just, it just felt kind of like that kind of roller coaster, at least for the first probably two or three hours, after we got the news. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess it was, I guess it was two laps. I guess it was like the sixth lap that, uh, cause I told Jennifer, I said, listen, when, when he's gone, cause they still, when, when I wrapped up with mom, uh, after that fast lap, he's still at the ventilator on. Yeah. And technically he was still, he was still alive. Um, and so I told Jennifer, I said, I, I want to know when he's, I want to know when he's gone. Yeah. And so I think it was the, two laps later is when she told me that. Um, and so that's when, you know, I kind of had a bit of that, that, okay, this is, you know, he's in a better place. He's not suffering. I can, I can celebrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it was just a range of emotions back and forth. And then, you know, I think probably about 
at some point, I just remember th- having the thought, all right, I feel good physically. Um, and I think it was around, I think it was like around the 20, 24 mile mark, somewhere like that. I just remember thinking, I feel good physically. Um, I'm, I'm in this thing. I need to, I need to focus. Like I, I need, I need to start thinking about the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really trying to do that. And I just remember that constant battle of like, but the kids are at home. Yeah. But have I made the right decision? Uh, I'm not sure Jennifer's doing okay. You know, what about mom? No, no, no. Focus on the race. Focus on the race. You know, it's like, and, and it was just that tension back yeah, and yeah. forth kind of, you know, it was impossible. It's, it would have been, it would have been absolutely impossible. And I mean, what are the effects for you, what were the effects of of this significant now extra emotional and mental burden on you physically? How did yeah. that affect you? Well, it's, in- it's interesting because I, I remember coming in. I don't remember how far it was, but it was, it was probably like, I don't know, 30 miles, 27 miles, somewhere in there. And I remember coming in. And uh, sitting down and Jennifer walking over and I'm looking at her and I, I just smiled on my face. I said, Jennifer, I can do this all day long. I feel great. It's like surprised at how good I felt. And then literally it was like two laps later, I just started coming unglued, man. Yeah. The wheels were falling off. Um, I came in like lap, I don't remember what it was, call it 30. And, um, um, or, or probably wasn't, I don't know what it was, but I came in at one lap and I was like, I just whispered over to Jennifer. I was like, Hey, I almost passed out, which I've never, I've never done while running at all. Um, I was like, I got really lightheaded at the top of that second hill. Um, and I almost, almost passed out. And so, you know, we drank some extra tailwind, guzzled a bunch of water. Um, she got me some salt tabs or something thinking it was, you know, I'm thinking it's a nutrition issue. I haven't eaten enough or I'm dehydrated or something. Uh, and so I'm just, you know, guzzling everything I can, trying to get down some food. And then the next lap, I go out and uh, and I was, I, was, I was about, I think I was about halfway up that first hill. And, uh, and I just felt like stomach start turning, start cramping, uh, got getting lightheaded. And uh, just my pace just slowed a lot. And, uh, was really, was really struggling and, um, got up the hill down the next and was coming up that, that second hill. And I could hear Jennifer's voice at the top of the hill calling, calling on me. And, and in the back of my mind at that point, I thought I've already, I've t- I'm going to, I'm going to time out. I'm not going to make this lap. And I was pushing hard as I could. Um, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm this, this sucks. This is not the way I want this race to go. And I hear Jennifer calling for me and I get up to the top and she's, she like, she looks at her watch and she looks at me and she's like, you can make it, but you got to move. And so I just, I just let out son going down that hill. And I was like, my legs were all, I mean, it was, it was ugly. Um, it was not pretty, but, but I just, I gave it everything I had and I, I may, I think I had like three seconds to spare or something. It was no time. Wow. Somebody threw me a water bottle that yep. had something in it. Yeah, and it was Chili's to, dad. I went before I ran out on the course because I was getting a little concerned. I told him if I don't make it back when James comes, give him this 
bottle and yeah. this food. And he literally had just enough time to throw it to you before you had to start. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so I, you know, somehow I made the cut on that one and just kept, you know, moving right on through. And, uh, but man, I got, I don't even know how far I got into that. What, what ended up being my last lap. And I just, I just came on, I just came on glued. I honestly, I don't, I don't remember a lot of that last lap. I know Jennifer was out there with me. Uh, Tim Douglas was out there with me. Uh, and man, they were just cheering me on, encouraging me. And I just, I just remember, you know, dry heaving, stumbling all around. I mean, I just think I, I don't physically, I don't know exactly what happened or the cause of it, but I just had kind of, my body was just, just shutting down. Yeah. I think when you, <clears throat> I think that in, in mental and emotional stress, like it's manageable for quite some time, but when it finally catches up to you and I, I don't think it catches up to you till you think you start to come out of it, yeah. which is what happened. Exactly I think for you, you know, you're like, you, you try you, you said you had that distinct well all right i'm in this right and so you 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 think you're like all right i'm starting to come out of this i've had time to process at you know at least a portion of, of this um tragedy and losing my father and and reflect on his memory and and mourn him somewhat and then you think you're okay now i can and then it catches up to you I mean, that's been my experience with it anyways. And I know you were saying, too, you were looking at the uh, the analytics from yeah. your GPS watch and how it even affected your heart rate and things like that. Can you share that? I yeah, mean, yeah. So I, I do, especially training for this race for Mid-State, I was really conscious of doing some heart rate zone training and just knowing that it was going to be a long effort and wanting to keep my heart rate down at a really manageable level um, so, so that I could perform for a really long time. And so that's the way I'd been training. And, uh, and you know, I went back and because right after the race, people would ask me, you know, what happened? And I thought, well, it was my nutrition. I just I got behind in nutrition and I couldn't make up for it. And that's what I that's just what I thought. It was literally, I think, on our way home uh, when I downloaded, you know, from my watch to my phone, kind of the analytics of the run. And I'm looking at it and it was like 83 percent of the run was in like high zone three, zone four in terms yeah. of my heart rate, which I never, and I wasn't running fast. I mean, I ran that one lap fast, but I wasn't running the other, the rest of them fast. I was, you know, 17, 18 minute pace. Um, I, ne I never, my heart never is up at that level yeah. uh, for that sustained amount of time. And so in hindsight, right, I, I think I think just that emotional toll, that adrenaline burst of getting that news and trying to do I just don't think I ever came down off of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I didn't realize it. I, I didn't feel like my heart was pumping or, or racing the whole time, but it, but it, but it was, and uh, and so I just, I just think you know, whether a body can perform, you know, for how long at that elevated heart rate, I don't know. I know mine can't. Yeah. Because I, I quickly. That's when those stomach issues start yep. happening, and yep. it, yeah, exactly. Yep, and. Um, well, that's a testament of how, obviously, how connected the things and and how the things that are going on in your brain affect you physiologically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you said, your pace didn't change. Yeah. You were physically able to to um, keep your heart rate down moving at that pace, but just 
what was going on in your head was was affecting you physiologically and taking you into that high heart rate zone. It's a it's crazy how how powerful that is. And I want to go back to Jennifer too. And you know, you kind of left off Jennifer after you guys prayed together there, and you said you 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 found the strength somehow to get back up on your feet and say, okay, if James is in this, I'm in in with him a hundred percent. Um, kind of what was the rest of the time like for you? Uh, was it ups and downs? Was it, uh, were you steady? Were, I mean, how was the experience for you? For the most part, I think I was pretty steady. There was a low point when I had to tell him that his dad was with Jesus. Um, that was, that was real emotional to actually tell him that. But for the most part, it felt steady. I, the internal conversation with myself was, wow, this is pretty amazing. I cannot believe he's even still running. And I cannot believe how strong he looks. I did notice when I would check his heart rate, just when he would come in, it was higher than normal, but it didn't make any connections of, I just kept thinking, okay, at some point, this is all going to catch up. I mean, it caught up with me physically immediately when I, you know, my legs just gave out. Yeah wondering at some point, but never wanting to let on to him because as far as I was concerned, you know, he was going to go. I knew he was going to go until he physically could not go anymore. And um, really my experience was just incredible because of the people there. Um, I mean, I've already mentioned Blake. He'd be sitting there, offer me some food, checking in, um, your wife, Brooke, is the only reason that I ate that entire day because she came under the tent and she said, have you eaten? No, I don't feel like eating. I didn't feel like eating a thing. And she literally brought me a plate of food, set it down, and that's the only reason that I ate during that whole time. And so the care um, that your family in particular, um, that, that was really, really special to me. And I think, again, just gave me strength to to be strong for him yeah and um and it was really special as well with the proofing ground guys because um i have never crewed before i got a lot to learn i was taking notes on your setup there i mean even the uh the water jugs and the way you do the tailwind i was filling up these little now jeans and doing 10 times the work i thought wow a sharpie <laughs> and a water jug i have got to up my game here um but i didn't know what i was doing and so i had said i'll crew james and B billy nolan was going to be there from the proving ground too yeah i can crew you too having no idea yeah you know what that meant. And so that is a hard race to crew for. Yeah, I, I had totally under, underestimated how fast two minutes would go by. Yeah, but when I had to give all the attention to James and giving him all this information in two or three minute increments, poor Billy, all of a sudden has no crew. <laughs> so I asked one of the proving ground guys, just spur of the moment, could you please take care of Billy because I can't do both. No questions asked. I just showed him all the stuff to give Billy, and he stepped up right away. I think it was Blake and Chris, and then um, is it Jr. Mm -hmm. He he noticed a little uh, problem in my setup and brought me some ice, and it was just amazing how that community and um, the guys that knew you from Proving Ground that I'd never met in my life just 
helped. And, and to me, a huge takeaway is just to not underestimate what might seem like a small gesture, how impactful, because I could spend all day talking about the small gestures that people um, showed me that day and all of that made it possible to even keep going as long as we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the most amazing parts about that race. And I think it's what draws me back to it. Yeah. Um, well now for two years is the people a hundred percent. It's, it's, it's hands down. Uh, the most, for me, the most unique environment in ultra running that I've ever experienced. I've been, I've been to many other last man standing races. It's just not like the mid state mile. It's, uh, it's very segregated and, you know, that place somehow just, uh, I don't know, something weird happens, but, um, if I could, I do want to mention one more person too. You mentioned it, but that last lap, I could tell as you guys left or as James left the start, he was really struggling. So I ran out there with him for the last lap and he was in such bad shape i was afraid on that hill he was going to fall over backwards and crack his head open or something and was it tim Uh that i saw him further down the hill and i just motioned for him without james being able to hear me just can you get his back if he falls backwards just (laughs) catch his head you know that kind of thing so he's literally running behind james with his hands out to catch him if he falls i'm running beside james um all this is strangely on film too no idea if Dwayne will decide to use any of this i hope not i don't want to see that i may (laughs) james looked horrible but also as a wife i might have looked like a real jack wagon because i'm just yelling at him to keep going you got more you can do more <laughs> the one the one uh, the, i remember a couple things about that last lap one of them was i was coming uh, that sec just top that second hill getting ready to come down that that more gentle downhill and i was thinking i was thinking to myself i was already so far out of out i was probably like 28 oh, minutes or something already at sense. that point but i was thinking i can make up some time going down this hill <laughs> And so I start, I start trying to run faster and I fall and I drop my poles and I get back up and I start running again. And Jennifer is like, James, you got to pick up those poles. <laughs> well, at that point, turn around, get go back up the hill a little bit, pick up my poles <laughs> and come back down. Cause she, went, but she her, wasn't going to break the rules. She wasn't going to break those rules. Yeah. No, at that point, I thought he might make it in three seconds to spare again and i'm not disqualifying him by picking <laughs> up those poles i'm not helping <laughs> well i'll tell you what it must have been an epic loop because i don't think Dwayne ran any loops with me <laughs> <laughs> if, if Dwayne got out on them hills to film that oh it must have been epic oh it was yeah you yeah. know I he's think, gonna use I that think, footage. i think ed was with us most of the time oh yeah, yeah. well he yeah. did at one point ed said you know james i'm not doing this hill for anybody else because i don't think he had he had got out of there. It was pretty funny. Yeah. But Tim was amazing. I mean, it was a pretty special moment. And then the other thing that just speaks to James's character, and I know I'm not biased, but this is pretty <laughs> special. He was not making a bit of sense. He was dry heaving, stumbling, falling all over the place, but still moving forward. And then we get up to the top of the hill and there's another guy on all fours, not moving forward at all. (laughs) And James just starts encouraging him and saying, man, you got more, you can keep going. And he gets the other guy up. 
Oh, was it like this? Oh, come on, man. You, <laughs> oh, you got it. It's like we were both. I was back and I was forth. dry heaving on one side of the trail. He was dry heaving on the other. Do you remember who that was? Yeah. It was old uh, uh, Aaron Patrick. Oh, we yeah. Both, okay. I think we both went out on that loop. Okay. Yeah. He I was, just yeah. thought it was so cool that as bad as shape. I don't I think I've it never was seen him. you I, in I that. I could have been wrong shape. because I wasn't I wasn't all there, but I think it was him. You yeah. were not all there. I've never seen you like that. But that he still had that in him to encourage someone else to go yeah. further. I just I love that about James. <laughs> well, well it sounds like he got it from Buck because of the story he just yep. told about him in the hospital. As bad a shape he was, he yeah. told yep. the nurse. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a unique uh, attribute for a person and of course we have the honor of training uh, very uh, high-performing individuals out in the wilderness environment every month with the basic course, but even a, even a high-performing human being that's used to being successful that has some significant life experience, when you put them in a situation where they are feeling not even really close to what James was feeling, but feeling definitely uncomfortable whether it's because of physical stress or or stress that the elements are putting on them. I would say 95% of people, what they'll do is turn inward. And it's a natural response to the discomfort because what you're doing at that point as a human is you're, you're tapping into that kind of primal instinct and you're trying to preserve yourself. So they turn inward. They won't offer any help to anyone around them. Uh, they kind of just want to sit there with their arms drawn in and just be still and quiet. And uh, that's what happens. So when and and James, I, I would I would not expect you to do that. Obviously, it doesn't surprise me that you did what you did. I just want to point it out that it's something that we should all strive to do. All you guys listening to this, when you find yourself in those moments of discomfort, extreme discomfort, or uh, whatever it may be, when you find yourself in that position, look at that as an opportunity to. Um, to get a little mentally tougher and and try to seize that moment and look outward and do what James did and try to pour into someone else that may be as uncomfortable as you because if they're around you in that situation, they probably are. They're doing the same thing you're doing and try to pour into them and encourage them and help them. And it actually helps you in turn. Now, it may not, it's not going to like, you're not going to grow wings and be able to fly after that. But it's going to take your mind off of your discomfort and your misery. And uh, and it's also just a, a really uh, good thing to strive to do when you find yourself in those moments. I know I do that all the time, man. Mm -hmm. So great lesson, great takeaway there. I appreciate you bringing that up, Jennifer. When the race was over for you, I mean, how did you feel? I mean, once you knew it was over, yeah, were you satisfied? I, uh, I mean, no, I wasn't. I'm still not. <laughs> I, um, you know, I was. To be honest, I was. I was fairly. Uh, I don't know. Angry, uh, maybe comes to mind, or certainly disappointed. Um, and I think I was thinking about this, and I've talked, spent a lot of time talking about it with Jennifer and uh, with a couple other friends, and you know, I think. I think mentally uh, I switched from I'm running this race to encourage my dad to I'm running this race to honor my dad. Yeah. And then to not perform like I know I'm capable of performing. 
um, not to perform at a level that I think is worthy of the honor that he deserves. Mm -hmm. It was, is really disappointing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what I look back on and, and I get all the reasons why. And I mean, it's, you know, I've got, I've got some grace for myself, but I'm still disappointed. Yeah. I still feel like, uh, there's unfinished business out there. And, uh, and that's, that's been, I mean, the hardest thing post race has been walking through this with, uh, with our children. Yeah. Right. Having to come home and tell, my sweet 10 year old daughter who thought Hoppa, which is what she called my dad that just thought Hoppa hung the moon and to have to tell her that, that Hoppa's not here anymore. And then my eight, seven year old boy, uh, tell him that and then walk through kind of their grief and their, how they deal with this. Um, that's certainly been the hardest thing uh, I would say. Um, somewhere up on that list of hard things has been dealing with just the disappointment of, of, um, not performing to the level that I know I'm capable of. Um, I can, I can not perform to that level if it's just me I'm letting down. Okay. I can, I can get over that. Yeah. I'm a big boy, but feeling like I let my mom down, my sister down, didn't honor my dad with my performance. Like I could have, those are the things that, um, that I'm, I'm disappointed in and, and just feel like I got, I got some work to do there. Yeah. I got a, I got some redemption. I need to, I need to go claim as it pertains to that. Well, I'm glad you have some grace with yourself on that, obviously, because there were some physiological things and emotional things that were completely out of your control that affected you, whether you wanted to them to affect you or not, that would have affected me the exact same way. Really none of us are immune from it unless we are just cold hearted and evil people which thank God we're not, yeah. <laughs> and we can actually we actually have the ability to care and love and uh, feel those those things. Um, so, uh, but again, I, I think that the the I don't know that disappointment is the right word. I, I I think for me as I analyze that it's it's more like um you're not content, right? I don't know. I, I just, uh, you know, I think that to, to not be content with it is, uh, 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 it can be a good thing, right? Because that, that now can breed hunger and mm -hmm. drive you into whatever your next mission is that is going to be in honor of your father's life, which I think you should do another mission. Yeah. Well, continuously throughout your life to keep his memory alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's absolutely nothing wrong with that yeah. for sure. Um, and what's, I mean, what's, what's, what's your plan? Well, I've got a, uh, I signed up. Well, so a couple things. Uh, one is take care of my mom. Yeah. Um, now she does it. My mom is a strong, uh, I, and you know, I, Got to meet your mom at the race. She was incredible, by the way, as well. She, she encouraged Jennifer every time I'd come in. She, man, I'm so proud of you. She, she had met me a couple hours earlier, I think, but she was just so sweet. Um, uh, and I know she's a strong woman. Uh, my mom's a strong woman. Good. Um, and uh, but <clears throat> she's been, you know, she's been she's used to for the last 45 years having my dad at her at her 45 at her right years hand. A long time, yep. son. 
And so there's a, there's a gap there. There's a void there for her. I know I'm not going to be able to fill it, but I'm going to be there for her. And so that's, you know, that's top priority. Um, walking through this with, with Jennifer and the kids and trying to, uh, just trying to, trying to grieve well and honor him well through this process and his legacy is really important to me, but I am, I do have some future missions, mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, that I want to do, uh, in honor of him. You know, the reality is anything I do like that, I do because of him, because he, I am who I am because, you know, I mean, he, you know, he got out of the military, uh, and, um, went on just some really awesome adventures, you know, took his, at one point he took his, 70 he took his 70 year old dad hitchhiking across the united states they literally <laughs> went from harrodsburg kentucky just outside of lexington all the way up to the northern part of washington state to pick apples and they hitchhiked the whole way and back wow. and i mean just you know like that's the type of stuff he would do his blood flows through my veins and uh and so i'm going to continue to do those things specifically though uh i've got a, a i'm on the wait list i think i'll get i think i'll get in for a hundred miler uh in november I uh, want to do that and uh and then want to want to go back to mid-state next mm -hmm. year and uh and finish finish what i started there yeah, yeah. what hundred mile are you looking at uh the penhody okay yeah awesome well you might you might get to see some of the penhody with me here I'm in a few months so. i'm hoping yeah. so um so i i see you have an act uh, you you've you've written an after action report is, is this is this yep. what this is yeah yeah do, do you do this with all your races i mean what is it something special that you did for this particular experience or yeah yeah it's more for this specific experience um i mean i do i do take notes jennifer and i do talk through stuff after we do anything right mm -hmm. we kind of debrief it together and just what do we learn? What do we take away? All that kind of stuff. So, uh, on this one, I, I did a little more extensively just because I really, you know, there's some things that I really, some lessons that I really want to make sure I remember. Um, there's some of the, uh, some of the memories of, um, that day and that, uh, that experience, you know, there's some I'd love to forget, but then there's others that I don't want to forget. Yeah. I, I want and I want to remember how it felt in those moments too. Um, so, yeah, we we spent a little time together. Well, is there anything that we missed that you that you want to share out of that, James? Um, Jennifer, anything anything you have, and then I'll I'll look at it here. Well, I just I guess the only thing I would add is I think we're learning a lot about grief, mm -hmm. and I know a lot of people have experienced a lot of different things this past year. Maybe it's not losing a loved one, but there's loss of some sort for all of us. And one of our close um, pastor friends, he's a pastor up in Nashville, was listening to a sermon last year sometime and something he said that if you don't deal with grief or feel a loss, allow yourself to feel a loss, then it will come up another time eventually in a bad way in an unhealthy way that may be a week from now a month from now years from now and I think that's a lesson I'm just learning because as I mentioned we've been in a lot of really difficult parts of the world um, see some difficult things and I'm really good and I think James is too at ignore and override and just continue going forward yeah and there's a cost to that i'm just now learning i wish i had learned it in my 20s 
Um, but it's something I feel like I'm just now learning that that takes time. Mm -hmm. And I think about it in terms of running. You can't rush training for an ultra. It takes patience. And I feel like that's what I'm learning with grief too. Mm -hmm. And I'm impatient with that. I want it to be over faster than it is. And taking what I've learned with running over the past year and kind of getting into endurance running a little bit and applying that to life to me makes um, a lot of sense. And it's a good analogy for me to just feel what loss is like. And I think that's something that we're both learning and want to pass on to our kids so it doesn't come up later in a bad way. Yeah, and there's a certain kind of people almost see if you're feeling your feelings as like a weakness, but mm-hmm. in reality, if, if you're not feeling those things in my mind, you're what you're doing is hardening your heart. If you're not allowing yourself to feel it, then you're, you're building that heart of stone and not the heart of flesh that God gives you. Because if, if you, I'll pray a lot of times, Lord, help me to see this stuff through your eyes and to be compassionate for the things you're compassionate for. Because if, if you see on the news so many times that somebody dies, eventually you're hard in your heart and it just doesn't bother you. Like this dude got murdered. and it's, I mean, yeah, the same thing happened yesterday. But if that doesn't break your heart every time that people are out there killing people, just because you see it all the time, then that's going to turn and harden your heart. And if you don't allow yourself to feel the grief and those feelings, then that's all that you're doing is hardening your heart. Now, there is a time in... James's race was a perfect example. There's a time to, to put that aside and say, there is something that has to be done and it is here right now and I have to get it done. Yeah. I'm not going to feel grief right now because I have a mission at hand. And that's what he did. But when that's over with, then it's time to take a wrap off and feel what you're going through. You know, I mean, at least that's how I see it. Oh, you're exactly right. I've about spent my whole life just hardening my heart. Mm. Uh, and it affects me, you know. I, when people pass away around me, I don't, I don't much grieve it. It's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So take Jennifer's advice. I think that's a very wise counsel uh, because it's a process, just like everything else is a process. Just like Jennifer said, training for an ultra, what, whatever, whatever you're doing, starting a business. There's going to be a process to it, and that's the reason most a lot of people fail is because they become impatient with the process and generally take the easier route because that is the easier route is not to grieve and just say all right let's carry on that's the easier route so wise counsel there's a there's a quote that i came across literally just yesterday evening um and uh, i don't i don't even know who said it but this, I'll just read it because it so applies to this, and it's something that I've read multiple times today because, to your point, Blake, a lot of times I feel like, you know, I equate the effects of grief as weakness. Mm-hmm. This is what it said. It says, grief never ends, but it changes. It's a passage, not a place to stay. Grief is not a sign of weakness nor a lack of faith. It is the price of love. Mm. And, and that's, that's, that's how I want to, to, to move through this and future loss, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is none of us nor anyone we love 
leaves this life alive. We all, mm-hmm. we all, our days are numbered. Yeah. And so grief is a reality that we will all have to deal with. And, um, and there's, there's healthy ways to deal with it and unhealthy. There's not easy and hard. It's all hard, but there's healthy and unhealthy. And, yeah. and, and I, I love just, you know, it's, it's not a place to stay, but it's a passage and it's, it's the price of love. It's the yeah. price of caring. Yes. Yeah. And, and, I, and thinking of that, Dude, love is worth that cost. That's right. Love is 100% worth the cost of grief. Yeah. You know, even with your dogs. Yep. I mean, that that's a a, yeah. a little mini example of it. You, you say, here, I'm going to get this dog. I'm going to fall in love with this dog. It's going to bring me so much joy and happiness, but it's going to die before me, more than likely, and now I'm going to have to deal with that. So is the joy, the love, and the happiness that the dog brings into your life worth the cost of the grief? And yes, it is every time. Yep. You know? Yep. That's a wonderful quote, man. I yeah. really like that. Um, two, two quick things, Chad, you asked about in terms of lessons or learning. Um, one is, man, if you don't have people in your life that can come around you uh, the way that Blake and Brooke and... Uh, and your mom and Dwayne and Don and the folks that were, I mean, the, the alumni from both the one troop and two troop from proving ground that were at the race, the way that they came around Jennifer and I, um, if you don't have those people in your life, I feel for you, man. I, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how you're going to make it through the challenges that life is going to dish your way. Um, and, uh, because that the value of that community is immeasurable and it was just, you know, I think one of the things I realized after, after the race was, um, I, I took off running thinking about me and what I needed to do. I was unaware and, 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 and this, you know, probably reveals some of my own selfishness, but I was unaware or not thinking about what my sweet wife had just been through and what she had had to tell me. And then I stand up and literally run away. (laughs) Right. It's like, well, dude, that, that was probably pretty lame. Um, no, it wasn't. I was proud of you. But, but she had people around her that stepped in and loved her and cared for her in that moment. And then when I came in, I knew that. And that was part of what gave me the, the, the freedom to say, okay, I, I can keep going. And so the value of that community is just, it's just immeasurable. Yeah. Well, and what's special about both y'all is that, that you allowed people to do that because a lot of people want to like, like you had committed to taking care of Billy. A lot of people would say, this is, I made this commitment. I'm going to take care of him and I'm going to take care of him and James both. And I'm not going to do as good a job, but I'm just going to do it. And you could have said, look, it's my job to take care of my wife. I know I can't do it while I'm out here running. I'm not going to allow these people to do it. And so if you, if you're that way, then you rob the other people of the blessing. It like it's a blessing for me to be able to pray for you and to take care of you. I know James could have done it better, and it would have. You know, I'm not discounting anything. I'm saying I'm. He's your husband, right? I mean, he could have. He knows you better. He could have done an excellent job. But it was a blessing for me to be able to contribute there, just like it was a blessing for Jr. and the other proving ground people to take care of Billy. And so, if you are so bent on doing it all yourself and saying, hey, this is my job, I'm going to do it here. Not only are you 
overdoing yourself, but you're also not allowing other people the blessing of of, yep. of taking care of that. So it's awesome that both of you have that. I mean, you've both shared stories where where you did that, you know, out specifically on the Mid-State Mile. Well, and I have to say, too, to piggyback off of what James just talked about, the value of having whatever you want to call it, an inner circle or a team or, or people that will come around you when and, and pour into you when you need it. That's not free either. Like, right, it, it, a lot of people may listen to this and say, oh, man, I wish I had that, but I just don't know how to get it. Yeah. Like, well, no, it, it you can you can have that. You can access that, but it's going to cost you stuff. It's going to yeah. cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you um, uh, sometimes emotional and social discomfort. All right, there's a cost to this. Again, the value that you will receive is greater than the cost. This is the most beautiful thing about what we do at 307 Project and the body of 307 yep. Project. If any of you guys out there think that we do the basic course of the Proving Grounds because we think we're going to get rich off. Look, we make enough <laughs> money off of those two experiences to pay like one and a half people's salary per year. All right? No, it ain't about the money. It is literally about providing an experience that people who want that want to make that investment who want that circle of people that they can reach out to it's providing a place and experience where they can form that right where else are you going to do that there ain't many other places and that's the reason why we do what we do and that's the most um beautiful fruit that's born out of those things it's, yeah. it's not it's not it's it's not the individual um things that people take away from the experiences it's not it's it's mm -hmm. the team man it's seeing these basic course teams that are still talking to each other well over a year after not only you know? talking i mean they're they're going, going out and doing, doing missions together yeah, and and yeah. and yeah exactly man so i appreciate you pointing that out and the value of that man it's yeah it's, yeah it, was it awesome. is amazing praise god and then the and then the second thing was um and and I, I've really seen this, especially as I reflect back on, you know, we talk a lot at uh, the Proving Ground. I know you guys do out on the basic course about this idea of maintaining the standard, right? And identifying what is the standard that you're going to live your life by? What are the values? What is the, the, the ethos or the code by which you are going to operate? And, um, and as I look back, on that day specifically, you know, there's some realities of the things that I did that weren't decided or thought of or processed through in that moment. They were a result of the standard in which I've chosen to live my life by. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it's that time of, you know, when chaos ensues, you're going to resort back to your training. You're going to resort back to what you know and how you know how to operate. Yeah, it's muscle memory. It's muscle it works memory. for your brain, too. Right? When that whistle blew, I knew I needed to run. I knew that, that, that if I was, was going to quit, that that would have been the time and place to have done it, and that if I don't get out of this chair, I will have quit. Now, I may have decided a lap later that that was the right thing to do, but I wasn't going to do it by default. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's part of well, that's a standard. That's a that's a value that I've lived by. Is I'm not I'm not going to quit. Yeah. Um, 
And there are a number of those things, right? Putting family first. Um, there's a number of those things that um, when the chaos ensued, when I was punched in the face, when, you know, whatever analogy you want to use, I, re- I can see now that I resorted back to the level of my training or, or, or the values that I hold closely. Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, we teach that over and over and over again. And it's not, it's not a joke. It's not, it's not something to just put on the wall and look at and, you know, make you feel good. So you get a couple extra pushups out of your workout in the morning. It's critical. Mm -hmm. It is critical. You will find yourself in places in life where you're up against it and you got to make a decision. There's not a right. There's not a wrong. There's only what you know to do. Yep. And the values that you live your life by have got to inform those decisions in that moment. And, uh, and that to me, this was a great example of that for me is, um, man, I just, in so many ways, and I'm not even convinced I made all the right decisions, but I did what I had programmed myself to do. That's right. Yep. Yep. And, and, and luckily this being a race and not some, situation where your life or death right. was on the line it it was in a, a controlled environment although the 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 stressor was outside of your control it was a controlled environment to where no matter what decision you made you guys were safe that's right and so to see that unfold in that controlled environment this is why we train this is why we do things um i don't want to say like this but this is why we ultra run this is is to to practice to build that muscle memory right and to allow our brains to uh go through these motions of upholding these standards that we have set for ourselves over and over and over again that way when you will find yourself at some point in life in a situation where this plays out and there's something on the line that's way more valuable than your performance at a race, but it works the same either way, as long as you've trained. So, you know, like Jennifer said earlier in the conversation, there's a lot that we can take away from these silly races that we do and take it and apply it back to our real life. Um, I mean, I've probably experienced just as much growth in learning through ultra running as I did through my time in the SEAL teams. Mm. I mean, to be totally honest with you, it's made me stronger. I'm stronger now than I've ever been. Yeah. And it's because of ultra running. I got what I could get out of the SEAL teams. I'm not there anymore. And I've continued to grow stronger and progress now, and it's essentially because of that ultra running environment. So, Blake, you got anything? No, I just appreciate y'all, you know, taking the time out to come out here and share this. I mean, it takes a lot of courage and it's still fresh. You know, it's just a couple weeks ago. and But I think what was shared here will help a lot of people. So I love both y'all and appreciate y'all sharing on here. Yeah, and it was a wonderful, really wonderful conversation. Just a, a powerful, powerful story, testimony, whatever you want to call it. Uh, likewise, I'm also thankful that you guys took the time out of your day to come do this. I hope it goes out and impacts millions of people. Yeah. Um, and... uh yeah, I mean, it's important that we sit down and have these conversations. It's, there's value in it, you know, because uh, now we can push this out and it's there forever for anybody to hear, listen to, take away from. And it uh, means a lot to us, man. James, you're such a huge part of 
the Body of 307 Project, and Jennifer, you too, you've been out to the Proving Grounds, you've been a part of um, those events and those experiences, and we're, for, for, you don't charge us anything. <laughs> You're just, you just decide to, to come out there and um, pour into the students and be a part of it, which is really, really amazing, and we're so thankful for you. So... Well, thank you guys very much for having us. It's been an honor to be here. Um, your family is special to us. And they were before the race, but I feel like just your family and the experience knit to what happened with our family just makes that bond even stronger. So yeah. we're thankful for you guys. For sure. And grateful. Thanks for letting us come and share the story and um it, it means it means a lot, and I, w- I would be remiss if I just didn't, you know, kind of as a final parting uh, thought here, just remind everyone that, you know, at the end of the day, um, man, there's this, this verse here, Romans chapter 8, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For all the creation waits with eager longing, for the for the revealing of the sons of God, and uh, you know, I, man, there is plenty of suffering in this world, and uh, but it it doesn't compare to what is in store for those of us that call Jesus our Savior, and uh, and that's that's why there is hope in the midst of tragedy. That's why you can you know I can lose my father and I can still celebrate, is because. Yeah. I have this confidence that he is now experiencing something that is far beyond anything we could dream of experiencing here because of his relationship with Jesus. 100%, brother. I love that, man. And I just want to say, too, if you guys want to uh, to spend some time with James, to learn from James, to get to hear James speak and teach and get to really, you know, intimately learn from him join us at the proving grounds in january um 2022 for three troop lord will and james will be there he's a huge part of that experience tremendous huge part of that and um i know we talked about too james adding you to uh the list of our speakers bureau so if you guys are out there and you you have a uh you have a church, you have a, a business, you have something, and you want to hire James to come speak. He's an extremely good speaker, very articulate. Um, just reach out to us at 307 Events is where we book all of our speaking through. So uh, hit us up, and uh, we'll put you in touch with James, and you guys can get that booked up. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll help with that process. So, um, All right, guys, that was an awesome conversation. Thank you guys so much. This is the 307 Podcast. Enough said.